Second Corinthians chapter number seven. I gave a little, little bit of a hint in Sunday school this morning, and it's the just us crowd. But uh, and even if we have guests, it's the just us crowd because everybody ought to feel welcome here. Amen. Amen. So. I just want to give you a heads up like, I'm, like I tend to do. We're going to go into three different passages today. And each of the passages is, is not necessarily going to make one point, but they're all going to build toward one point. You know, I used to preach. When I, when I used to preach, I used to kind of like a mystery. I thought, you know, I would just reveal this, reveal this, reveal this. And at the end, everybody would get the big picture and say, ah, but, you know, over time, I've learned that I've lost you by the time we get to the end. So I don't reveal it anymore. I'm going to give it all to you. And uh, it's going to start right here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's telling them, he's mentioning the letter that he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians, Paul wasn't kind to them. He was pointing out some things, and he, he uh, basically, he rang their bell. You had a young man that was sleeping with his father's wife, and Paul called it out. You had people that were being carnal, and they weren't being spiritual, and Paul called it out. You had people that were bringing food and uh, calling it the Lord's Supper, and there were other people that didn't have the money for food, but they weren't sharing with them. You had other people that came in in good clothing. I think it was in 1 Corinthians. And they said, you know, sit thou here in the good place and sit thou over there. I I think that was in 1 Corinthians. I may be wrong on that. But Paul was getting on them in that letter. And for that young man, he wasn't sorry at all for what he was doing. And Paul said, you need to release him to Satan. Just turn him over to Satan for a season and let God deal with him. Don't coddle him in his sin. Now, that sounds rough, and it was. But then we find out that the young man turned around, and he came back into the fellowship of the church. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to say we need to throw somebody out. We're not, like, <laughs> we're not doing that. Don't get nervous on me. But what I'm saying is Paul, as he writes these next words that we're going to read, this is what he's referring to, that, that former letter. He says, uh, he says verse 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Yeah, I read that, and I see Paul, I see him writing that letter, and I see him writing those harsh things, and when he got done, he said, oh, man, that's rough. As I I tell you, some some preachers enjoy beating people up. It's not always pleasant, though. You know, there's sometimes I write a sermon, and it comes out, and it's like, ooh, because I think I know who it's going to hit. You know who it hit? Somebody totally different. The one that I thought needed it, that was a good sermon preacher, and they go on about their day, and it's like, man, did you not just get that BB between the eyes? (laughs) But just just to make a note, I know better than to put a scope on my Bible. I don't aim for you. I get up here with a shotgun, and I try to hit all of you and let God send the pellets home. Amen? All right, so for though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent, for though I did repent... For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So this letter was rough, and it made them feel bad. 
and it hurt their fifis. As, you know, Miss Judy introduced me to that phrase. Hurt their fifis. It hurt their feelings. He said, but it was for a season. And this comes to a point, verse number nine. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. You were sorry in a godly manner. And that's what I want to look at today. Look at uh, verse number six, verse number 10. He says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And I want to focus on that phrase this morning. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Matter of fact, the topic of my sermon, the title of my sermon today, godly sorrow. I, I look back in time. I was talking to Dee Dee, and we talked about the joy of going to church. And I don't say this to brag. I say this as a memory. Back in Georgia, there was a kind of a fellowship of churches, and I've told you all about this. And, and some of you all know about this in your own life. But we were, we were an independent association of independent Baptist churches. <laughs> we were unofficially associated. And there would be a jubilee meeting up north. There might be a revival meeting over to the west or to the east. I'm sorry. There might be a revival meeting over to the east. There might be one over to the west. But all the pastors knew each other. When there was a revival meeting, we'd just go out there to hear the preaching. We knew the preachers. And we wanted to hear them. And I tell you, there was some times those preachers hurt my feelings. And it wasn't because they were beating up on me, but it was because they were in the Bible and God spoke to my heart. And, and I've thought about this and, and, and I've talked to some people, but I, I, I've thought about some of the people. One man that I had just recently read, he said that he hated organized religion. I read somebody else that said that they were tired of being told how sorry they were. And they've come to realize that they're really not that bad and that they don't need church. Well, I kind of know where that attitude comes from. It breaks my heart to hear that because you know my stance that the first requirement is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Lord, thou wilt not. You know, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And, and I, so I asked myself, are you supposed to walk around all the time just beating yourself up? And I've, I've gone back and I looked back in time because I wanted to go to church. I'm not saying I don't now. But I'm saying that at that time in our life, this was back in 2000, 2001, there was that Jubilee meeting. It was once a year. I planned my vacation around it. And I can tell you that now if I could, there's, there's a... a Bible meeting out in Florida that I would love to take the week off to go to, you know. But the, to go to these meetings and to hear preaching, just to hear preaching, not to go on vacation, not to go fishing, not to go camping, but to go there to hear the preaching all week. You go there during the daytime and these young preachers that had surrendered to preach, that they might not have been that good. But it's kind of like watching a kid take their first steps, you know. You get up there and you watch them and it's like, eh, it's a little awkward. But look at him go. 
That young man is surrendered to God. That young man is getting up in front of people. And let me tell you, it's not easy. I've told y'all before, that's some mean looks y'all send back sometimes. <laughs> but to get up in front of people. Now, some of them do it for themselves. But then there's others, their heart's just in it. Y'all remember when Brother David Drake was here? I, let, I turned him loose. He said, how much time, brother? I said, just preach till you're done. I was getting nervous as a pastor. <laughs> as he was going, I'm like, hmm, he's loaded for bear. <laughs> I was looking around at y'all, and y'all were just smiling. That's a good way to be, just to hear the preaching. And you ask yourself, what is it that does that? Well, I remember when I go to the meetings, I remember God speaking to me at different times. I remember hearing some preaching, you know. It's just some things you want to remember. I remember one time walking around doing my rounds at the power plant. And I had sat down a minute and I was listening to the sermon. And uh, it just really hit me. And while he was talking and he was talking about Judas, you know. And I'm looking at this rock the whole time he's talking. And I'm thinking, something needs to change, Keith. You don't want to be like this. And you're saying, well, what is that? It doesn't matter. Has this happened to you before? And I look at the same rock the whole time. You know, I still have that rock in my office. I call it my Judas stone. It's just a little old nothing rock. I mean, there were millions of them out there. But this one rock that I was just staring at the whole time I was listening to the sermon, I said, you need to take that with you. So why would, I take, why would we take a week off to go here preaching from from young men that weren't that good. And then in the evening, there was some good preaching. Boy, Brother Joe Arthur, Brother Luther Spivey. Man, Brother Luther Spivey, you, you know how you knew when he was about done? He broke through on his suit. And I'm talking, I'm talking some, some spit and preaching. When I first started out, I was one of those. And you say, when are you going to get this sermon? I will in a minute. But I want you to understand where this sermon's coming from. And uh, I remember when I got up, pre- you know, we had a little vacation Bible school or something. Brother Gray let me teach out there. I, I was preaching. I was spitting like the preachers, you know. Big. And y'all told me, uh, Miss Celia said one time, oh, you got up in high G there for a little bit. I can't maintain it because if I do, it'd be artificial. When it comes, it comes. It don't push it. Don't force it. But there's just sometimes when God gets a hold of you and you just want to get it out there. But, you know, there's people that get their feelings hurt about that. He's just shouting. I don't know why he's got to yell at me. And and I ask myself, because it's like as a pastor of a small church now, but as a pastor, I ask myself, these people that go to these larger churches, what is it they're going for? And I really ask myself that. And I say, do I want that here to get them here? And the thing that I keep coming across is God's going to send who God's going to send. There's things that can be done and should be done to get out of God's way. Keep the place clean. Make it look nice as we can, as we can afford to, you know. There's things that we can do. The most important thing that we can do is be a witness and a testimony to those around us. The other thing as a preacher is to be prepared. You go to a restaurant and you have a bad meal, what happens? We're not going back there. I mean, y'all know about T.J. Reeves. This is an illustration. 
TJ Reeves sold hamburgers. A couple of years ago, if y'all went out to eat with us, we took you to TJ Reeves. There was a couple of people we took there. Man, I love I, I loved their hamburgers. They were fresh meat and everything. Hadn't been able to go because they moved the seafood in and Dee Dee's allergic to seafood, you know. Well, we went last week and I'm like, well, it's still good food. You want to go back to where there's good food. So y'all constantly pray for your preacher that there'll be good food up here. That doesn't let me off the hook, you understand. But I tell you what, Miss Johnny's prayers, on my behalf, I, I cover them. And some of y'all, I cover them. The prayers, give me a second. So the point of this sermon, Paul talks about godly sorrow leadeth to repentance, not to be repented of. And I thought about, I'd take you all the way back to these services and hearing the preaching. It wasn't just entertainment. It wasn't up there just this man watching him set himself on fire and watching him burn, right? But you go there and your heart's ready to hear something from the Lord. That's when we enjoyed church. When we went to church and there wasn't that going on, when it wasn't God's word, when it was kind of man's word, when, when man was telling, you know, this is, this is why you need to be going to church. This is why you need to be doing this. This is why you need to be doing that. And there wasn't much Bible in it. Don't get mad at me right now and don't say, yeah, you mean like right now, preacher? Just hang on with me because we're about to get some. But when it was just man's word, it was a chore to go to church. I looked at David's psalm, Psalm 51, one time, and David had sinned with Bathsheba. And Psalm 51 is presumably the psalm that David wrote after Nathan the prophet had come in there and pointed out his sin. He said, thou art the man. How many times have you been at church service and God says, you're the one? Some people get mad and say, he's been reading my email. No, just preaching what God gives me. There's sometimes I think, man, the sermon's going to go this way, Lord. The sermon, I can see it, I can see it. And then the next, I can't see it. Blind as a bat on it. God said, no, something over here. So he says, verse number nine, now rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. So let's take a little step through time. Because when I think about godly sorrow, and when I think about repentance, these, these three places are just kind of good examples. This is the only way they're related other than they're in the Bible. But I just want to step back in time. And I want to go all the way back to when Israel was a kingdom. So turn in your Bibles to first, uh, Second Chronicles chapter number 33. Second Chronicles chapter number, we're going to be in 34, but go to 33. Now in the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, it tells about the kings through Israel's time. Second Chronicles chapter number 33. So, 
David is long off the scene. Solomon, his son, took over the kingdom, and then Solomon passed away. And when Solomon passed away, God split the kingdom into two parts. You had Israel and you had Judah. And Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings are the story of the kings. And all through that time, you had good kings and you had bad kings. I'm not going to list who was who or what was what, but what you see in these chapters in these books is you see how God judges whether the king was good or bad. We're going to start off, I want you to look at chapter number 33. And he does it here in the first two verses. And I say God does it because all, all spirit is in, all scripture is inspired by God, right? Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He was a young man. It says, and he reigned 50 and five years in Jerusalem. 55 years, that's a long time. Sometimes I can't wait for four years to be over. <laughs> Amen. And eight years seems way too long sometimes. But he reigned for 55 years. And while he was king, look verse number two. This is where the Bible judges him. The Bible says, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, we're going to kind of go back and forth here. So this is how God looked on the king's life. Now, when you do a spiritual application, how do you think God looks on your life? Does he look on your life and does he say, well, you've been successful. You've lived your best life now. You took every opportunity that came your way and you grabbed it by the horns. And you moved up the ladder and you stayed motivated and you kept going. And through it all, you, you remained kind to people and you did this and you did that. You don't see any of that in the Bible. But what you see is God looking on their life and saying, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So Manasseh was an evil king. Now, when you go over to chapter number 34, I'm giving you a context here just so you can get the picture of what takes place. We're going to go back at 33. But look what it says in verse number one. This is Manasseh's grandson. 55 years Manasseh reigned. And then his dad, I think, reigned maybe two years or something like that. But let's see, Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign. Reigned two years in Jerusalem, yeah. So uh, Josiah's dad only reigned for two years. And then in comes Josiah. It says Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and 30 years. So he reigned for 31 years. Verse number two, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. It walked the straight and narrow, basically. Now, there's a couple things I want you to see here, and I couldn't come up with point names for this because we're going to see similarities in these three passages. OK, I hope you all are along for the ride. Anybody got to go to lunch with somebody after this? I'll make sure the recording gets out if you do. But come along and ride with me. 
He says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now look what he did. Verse number three. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David. So he begins to seek after God. But there's something that I want you to see. Remember how I told you I don't make it a mystery for you to figure out? Josiah only knew certain things about God. When we look back at Manasseh and see the things that Manasseh did, we're going to see wickedness and idolatry that went on for over 50 years. You're going to see where, we'll just look back at it. I already said it. Go back to chapter 33, verse number five. And this is talking about his grandfather, Manasseh. This happened for 55 years. Says, and he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now, you could just pass right by that. But that's saying this man was so against God, he built altars to other gods inside the temple that Solomon built. You understand that? Now, understand too, Josiah is not guilty of this. This is what Josiah is cleaning up. These are the altars that have been put all over the land. So he built altars. Verse number six, and he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed times. There was the god Molech. There was a huge altar, and it had a, they say they kept a fire going in the belly, and they would throw their children into the fire in order to get wealth and prosperity. So he passed his own children through the fire. It's a wonder that his own son made it and that Manasseh made it. And uh, also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God. So he had these altars in the court and in the house of God, in the very house of God he built up. An idol. He put an idol in there of which God has said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land, which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. Basically, you had a king that knew not God. In Manasseh. So that gives you the context. And it, this all builds up. Are you trying to follow along? Just listen. Some of Brother Grady's sermons, I had trouble following along. Just li- I learned to just listen and not try to figure out where he's going. But I'm telling you where I'm going. Godly sorrow leadeth to repentance. But I'm trying to lay the stage here for the sin that was taking place. And number one, I want you to see. It says, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek God and the, father, the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. And the images that were on high above them, he cut down in the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. Fifty-five years of building altars. Fifty-five years 
of worshiping other gods. And even longer than that, because he was 12 years old before they started to do this. Now, there's a couple things I want you to know here. Number one, there was a lot of work to be done in this area. There were a lot of altars to tear down. There was a lot of grove trees to be cut down. This didn't happen overnight because this had taken over the entire land. The other thing that I want you to know, this is how he sought the God of David, his father. Now, whenever the Bible says that, you know, David's not directly his father, but he was in the line of David. So this is how he sought after God. So something that I want you to notice here, he's working with the light that he has. Because you're going to see here in a minute that when they begin to clean out the temple, they actually find the Bible or what they had for the Bible. They find the book of the law. He didn't know any of this stuff. All he knew that they're worship, we're worshiping other gods. We need to do away with them. He was working with the light that he gave, that, God, that he had. And the point that I want to make to you about that is that when you get saved... And I've said this in a couple sermons, I think, but God doesn't hold you accountable for what you don't know. But God holds you accountable for what you do know. And we see this with Josiah. He's going after God with what he does know. We may have to split this into three sermons. We just might have to. But he's working with what he does know. So it says... So he's breaking down all of the altars. Uh, Verse number seven, and when he had broken down the altars and groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So that was when he was 12. Verse number eight, now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged, so he's 26 years old here, when he had purged the land and the house, So he's been king now for 18 years, and he's only done what he's known to do, and that's to get rid of the altars. He sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the governor of the city of Joah and the son, and then at the end of the verse, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So he's gotten rid of all the idols, and and you can imagine the devastation, the, the, the ruin, the, the, the mess that they were walking through of all these idols, all these personalities. You ever tried to change something in a church? You ever seen what happens? You ever tried to pick colors that somebody didn't like in a church? Try doing that in a land where they've been worshiping other gods for 55 years. I mean, the king can just lay his head down, right? The pastor has to say, well... Hold on. But again, he, he's, the, 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 the amount of heartache and grief that's going through in all this time and all this progress that is made over this time to go from having all of these idols and these altars to now we've got all this cleared out. He's 26 years old and he sends him over there and he says, it's time to repair the house of the Lord. It's time to repair that temple that's been defiled. And they gather up the money and the funds And verse number nine, and when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and of all the remnant of Israel and of all Judah and Benjamin. And they returned to Jerusalem and they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the work 
the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. Even to the artificers and buildings, builders gave they it to buy hewn stone and timbers for couplings and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. Man, that's a lot of work. And he's doing all of this for the Lord. In verse number 12, and the men did work faithfully and the overseers of them were Jeth, and it goes on and, and uh, let's see, all that could skill of instruments of music. Verse 13, and they were over the bearers of burdens and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service. And the Levites, were there were scribes and officers and porters. So verse 14, and when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And you look at that, and, and we take it for granted, right? I mean, you can go off the road, you can go to Mardell's, and you can get a Bible, you can order one online, you can walk by, and somebody might have left one laying on the ground, and you got the Bible, you got God's revelation in your hand. But here they are, they're cleaning out the temple, and I gave you all of that history so that you understand when they start to repair things, and when they start to fix the floor, and everything, you know, it's kind of like having bad renters. <laughs> Those other kings, and all, they tore up the house. This was the Section 8 temple by the time they were done. Amen. And they get in there and they start to clean it up and repair it. And I think they move a bunch of junk. Maybe they move a bunch of chairs. And the priest, they said, man, I didn't even know there was a door back here. And they start to pull it out of there, you know, and all this work is going on. And what's in this room? There's paper here. He picks it up and he begins to read. Thou shalt not have other, any other gods before me. That's simplifying. But you know there's a lot more in the law, right? You know about the year of Jubilee, letting the land rest after every seven years, letting, letting people free from their debt. You, you know about the sacrifices and the offerings that are to be made to the Lord, about how many are to be made, and about the oil, and about the incense, and about the holy of holies. All of these things. And they begin to read the law. And it's been 55 years. That's a generation. It's been 60 years, I guess, by now. 70. And they just find the book of the law. And look what happens when they read it. And this gets me back to, and I keep bringing you back to godly sorrow. Worketh repentance. Because you can go to church. And you can sit in the service. But I guarantee you there's people that you talk to that go to church. And you ask them, why do you go? And they probably don't know. It's because of all this other stuff going on. I just, I just want to bring this up. I, 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 I don't know how to make it any clearer. This is a question that I had. And I look back and say, why did you take a week off to go to Jubilee? Why did you go to that revival meeting when you had to work the next day? Why, when I got off a night shift on Saturday night, did I lay in the back of the Astro van and let Dee Dee drive two hours to go to a church that we liked? Or an hour and 45 minutes or however long it was. I don't remember Dee Dee did driving. <laughs> <laughs> 
Why did we do that? It's because we wanted to be around God's word. We wanted to be around God's people. There's something that happens when God's word is read. There's something that gets a hold of you. And if it doesn't get a hold of you when you read God's word, you should be singing that song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Because you're missing something. And Paul talked about godly sorrow leadeth to repentance. There's so many people that get upset. They say, man, I, that preacher, he just he makes me feel like dirt. And I've, heard, I've sat under both kinds of preaching. I've sat under the kind of preaching that, that says, you know, positive things, positive things. I preached a sermon on the joy of salvation one time, and the preacher came up behind me and preached on real joy. <laughs> That's when I started asking, what's this about? I said, surely he wasn't, like, fixing things after the young man gets in the pulpit, you know? I don't know. That made me think about it. It made me question, well, what is it? Because that was the first time I started to feel it again. And Christianity is not about a feeling. And you have to go on in between those feelings. But if God's not getting a hold of you in some way and somehow, if he's not leading you, it's, it's not just God bless my steps wherever I go. <coughs> but it's like David, Lord, should I go here? If God's not moving on you like that, there's something missing. Now look what happens when they find the book of the law. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king back word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Verse number 19. You ought to highlight this one. Just because. Do you highlight your book? Your Bible? And it came to pass... When the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. And a King James English, that doesn't mean he went out and got a tuxedo, rented one. But in those days, when there was great grief, they would tear their clothes. And when he heard that book of the law, if anybody would have a right to say, you know, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. We've torn down all the altars. We're rebuilding your house. We're doing all of this work for you. But when the words of the law were written to, read to him, and he heard about the jubilee, and he heard about the sacrifices and offerings, and he'd seen all the trash that was taking place, and he, he read, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He was working with the light that he had. These altars aren't right. This stuff isn't right. And as he began to work with the light that he had, God gave him some more light. And he began to see God say, I have given you this day a blessing and a curse. He said, he told them if they keep his commandments, he'll bless them. And he'll keep, he'll make them powerful among the other nations. But if they get away from him, he'll curse them. And let the other nations take them. And it didn't happen right away. 
But God didn't slack, right? Over time, it came. But before we get to that, and y'all can tell me when you're ready to stop, I told you this was going to be a little bit of a ride. But before we get to that, he's hearing the words of the law. And he's seeing all those idols and all that trash and all that stuff that's been ground down and how Israel, the people, have been worshiping all these false gods. He thinks about that idol that was taken out of the temple. He was thinking about all those things that his grandfather Manasseh had done. He could say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, Lord. But he said, no, we're your people. It was us. We did this. And he reads about the wrath and the judgment. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, 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 the son of Shaphan and Abdon, the son of Micah and Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. That's conviction. And it's godly sorrow. He's reached a point. God shows you something in your life. See, to me, that's church. I can go to church. There can be guitars. There can be singing. There can be this event, this youth event. And I'm not knocking, okay? But there's the main thing that's the main thing. And when I go, I just want to hear God speak. Lord, speak to me. I don't like it all the time. I told you all about going to church and what the preacher was preaching not too long ago. And it's like, Lord, all right. I'll take it. I could just wipe it off. I could say, well, that's just a coincidence. He's saying all that, and this is going on in your life or whatever. And it's like, I'll take it, Lord. Here am I. Show me what I need to do. And here's Josiah, the king who's taken out the altars and all that. And he reads this, and he says, we need to find out what the Lord wants and find out what's coming. So he sends them. And Hilkiah and they that the king had appointed went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvith, the son of, and it goes on through, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they spoke, spake to her that, to that effect. And she answered them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell ye the man that sent you. See, he's no longer king right now. God's in charge. He said, she said, tell you the man that sent you. Not tell the king, but he's put in his place. Let me tell you something. When, when you get put in your place by God, <laughs> just take it. She said, tell you the man that sent you unto me. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. It's not a good report. But look what happened. And as for the king of Judah, do you remember what the sermon's about? Godly sorrow. And as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. 
Look at verse 27. She says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace, and either shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. You know, at that point, a lot of people would go and say, man, dodge that bullet. That's going to happen after I'm gone. And one of the kings actually says that. He said, well, that's going to happen after I'm gone. And he moves on. But there's a change that takes place. Remember, it said, godly sorrow worketh repentance. And here, he was sorrowful. He was, he was afraid. He, he had seen himself in God's eyes. He had seen the kingdom through God's eyes. And let me tell you something. When you see yourself through God's eyes, you're not the okay person. If you think you are, God's going to say, help yourself. But if you open yourself, and I'm, it's like, what are you saying, preacher? Are you saying I just got to beat myself all the time, that I got to carry a stick and I got to beat myself? No. I'm telling you to open your heart to what God has for you. And you go to the service. If you leave me, that's fine. But if you go to another church, you better be going and praying, Lord, speak to me. Lord, show me what you would have me to know. God's spoken to a few people here and told them they need to be at another church, and that may be right. I don't know. There's always a back door. It doesn't matter. What matters is, what will you do? Pray for me that I'll be the one to feed you. If God moves you, it better be because you want God to speak to you. And I pray, I pray for those that aren't here, I pray that they found a place where God is speaking to them and where a change can take place. So many people go looking for the entertainment and, well, do they, they check, the, does it have this, does it have this, does it have that? My goodness. You know, Matt tells me about a, can I say it, Matt? Matt tells me about a church up at the school. They got millions of dollars worth of equipment. Man, they got iPads for checking in. They set it up every Sunday. They get up there early in the morning. They set all this equipment up, and they do all of this, and they've got the music, and they've got the smoke, and they've got the lights, and they can generate the, the feeling. But I'm telling you, without the godly sorrow that leads you to repentance, you'll come as you are, and you'll leave as you came. This is what my mind worked on when I said, how come you took a week off to go to Jubilee? How come the best vacations I've ever had have been going to hear preachers preach and amateurs get up there and preach? Because I said, Lord, and this doesn't make me better, you understand. But I'm just trying to share something with you guys. I said, Lord, speak to me. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me. And know my ways. And see if there be any. And he said, and did rinse thy clothes. And uh, 
So verse 29, the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. You know what happened when Josiah got a hold of the word of God or when the word of God got a hold of him? He taught other people. You know, that's a wonderful thing. It's not just, you're you're not a pond at the end of the river where all the water just pours into, but you begin to overflow and you want everyone else to know. And Josiah wanted the kingdom to know, look, look what God showed me. And God begins to speak to them. And and the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. There was a sermon not too long ago talking about with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and getting things out of the way because that's high performance following the Lord. And he made a commitment to follow And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah started out working with the light that God had given him. Now, I don't know how I get all that background back in to where we're going to go next week. But next week, we're going to look at Nehemiah, and we're going to stay on this same path here with godly sorrow leading to repentance. Because I want you guys to see with me in time, and I want you to remember this passage. I want you to remember that this kingdom was facing a judgment from God. Now, I want you to remember this king, Josiah, that stood up, but there were other kings after him that messed up. And God ended up pronouncing the judgment that he had declared in, in the Old Testament, in the, in the early book, in the book of the law, the blessing and the curse. He ended up carrying through with the curse. And Babylon comes in and takes them, and takes them all into captivity. And Persia comes and takes Babylon. Because when God uses you to judge his people, You don't get the reward for doing it. That's just one of those side things. But there they are in Persia, and God had said that they would be able to go back into the land and rebuild. And God moved on the heart of the Persian king over there in the book of Nehemiah. I'm not going to go there. I'm just getting you ready for it. But for today, for this lesson, and that's kind of what it is, if you'll stand.